Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church Podcast. information about Redemption Church, please visit redemptionokc.com. You can stay up to date on sermons by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. Heavenly Father, thank you for the breath that we have, as Chris mentioned earlier and as we sang. Thank you for the life that you've given us and the gift that it is, Father. Thank you that you've created us as relational beings. You desire a relationship with you, but also with one another. Father, I pray that you would make us a deep people who live meaningful lives of friendship and of relationship and of connection uh, with one another and, uh, Father, with those around us. Lord, we pray that we would do so through the strength that comes through Christ and your Holy Spirit. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. We are going to be in the book of Proverbs today, continuing our series. We're going to start off in Proverbs 13. If you've been around for this series, Proverbs is a different kind of a book because it's kind of scattershot stuff all throughout the whole book. And so we're taking a little bit more topical approach and hitting a lot of different verses. So it may be a little bit tricky to keep up with everything as we run through there, but I'm going to try to throw stuff on the screen so you can keep up. Uh, If you want to follow along, we're going to start off in Proverbs 13. But today we're going to be talking about friendship and really yeah, this is a significant issue, not just in the book of Proverbs, but just in life. And the quality of your life will largely be determined by the depth of your friendships. The quality of your life will largely be determined by the depth of your friendships. And the, trick about the, the tricky thing about that is that life moves really fast. Work will impose its demands on you. Family will impose its demands on you. Uh, romance will impose its demands on you. And one of the things that's hard to carve out time for is just to be together with other friends and to hang out and to connect and to go deeply in terms of your relationships and your connections. And what we see in the book of Proverbs, but also just in our experience, is that you have to really foster and cultivate and be intentional about developing relationships because they don't just spontaneously happen. They require an investment on our part. And one of the things that, that, that we see, and we're going to look at some stats here in a minute, is that our world makes friendship really difficult, but our humanity makes friendship very much essential. Our world makes it difficult, but our humanity makes it essential. And it's summer, but school's about to start soon, isn't it? I hate to break that to you kids. Um, my wife and I were talking this week, and we were just thinking about the, the shortness of summer and how the school is going to be starting back up. Think about your schedule when school starts back up. Think about which kid gets up before everyone else and the other kids that you have to like drag out of bed. Like you know which ones they are, right? Maybe it's all of them you have to drag out of bed. But, and it starts early and you got to run and you got to get them to football or to band or to something else. And then you got to get the rest of the kids there with round two. Then you got to get to work and you got to get to the store and, you've got, and you just start running, right? And it goes, and then you get them out of school, and then you're running to other after-school events and activities and sports and uh, programs and other things that happen, and you begin to run. If you have a family, it moves really quick. And there's an interesting stat in a book, Robert Putnam, in his book, Bowling Alone, said that the average family, American family engages in 13 automobile commutes per day. And I'm not a stats guy, so I have no idea how to verify this. 
But supposedly every 10 minutes you spend in the car decreases your social capital by 10%. Your ability to connect with other people decreases by 10% every time you spend 10 minutes in the car. Now, maybe you're single and you don't struggle with having kids everywhere, but I want you to know it's hard for you too. You know, the stats are showing that the average city has about a 17% turnover every year, meaning that the relationships that you have, the place that you you connect, and the people that you know and live amongst, actually 20% of those people change every single year. And that happens year after year after year, which means, man, it's a rotating door of relationships that you got. It makes it that much more difficult to go deep in terms of your relationships. And so what we see is that our world makes it difficult in terms of creating relationships. We also, uh, there's also data and research that shows how important it is for us to connect on a relational basis. Now, this is, to me, kind of funny, but research actually shows, um, I'm, I'm gonna, you, you can pull this out and use this later if you need to, but research actually shows that if you have bad health habits, but strong social connections, you'll live significantly longer than people with good health habits who are isolated from other people. So there's verifiable evidence that sitting around a a table eating a bunch of queso with your buddies is actually better than eating broccoli by yourself. So if you need to pull that out later, you can just pull that out and use it. Um, There's data on that scientifically. Another one that I thought was funny was the American uh, Medical Association. Randy Frazee talks about this. Uh, uh, There there were a group of volunteers that were infected with a virus that, uh, infected with a common cold virus, which one, I'm going, just friendship tip. If your friend asks you to get infected with a virus, probably not the one you're looking for, right? But but beyond that, there there were a group of volunteers that were infected with a virus, and the study found that those with strong emotional connections did four times better fighting off illness than those who were more isolated. They were less susceptible to colds, had less virus, and produced significantly less mucus than relationally isolated subjects. And Frazee made the really intelligent point. He says, I'm not making this up. They produce less mucus. This means that it is literally true that unfriendly people are snottier than friendly people. (laughs) See, friendship has its benefits, right? And another report... Uh, as much as we can laugh about that, another report uh, from the American Institute of Stress, uh, through extensive research, this was their sum statement at the end of all the work they did on relationships and its effect on stress. They said, the wisdom of the ages, anecdotal observation, careful clinical case studies and trials, uh, make sure I say this right, uh, ep- epidemiological study data on marriage, divorce, and death, as well as sophisticated psychophysiological and laboratory testing all confirm that strong social support is a powerful stress buster. I mean, the amount of time and money we spend to verify what we already know to be true is pretty amazing, isn't it? All that work. And what we find out is it's not good for man to be alone. You know, the Bible tells us that in the first two chapters. If you look at your Bible, you go to Genesis 1, Genesis 2, and God creates the world. And there's a series in which it says over and over, God creates it and it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. There's one place where it said it is not good. That's in chapter 2, verse 18. It says what? It is not good that man should be alone. We were made to be relational beings. We have a relational God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Trinity, that have, or God the, God the Holy Spirit that have existed in the Trinity for all time. And in their relationship, their friendship of the divine Godhead, they shaped us in their image and made us into relational beings. Now here's a question for you. 
Genesis, uh, when, where in the Bible did sin and brokenness enter into the picture? What chapter? Genesis 3. So this is Genesis 2. This is before sin entered the world. This is before the fall of man. This is before brokenness entered the world. What that means is your desire for connection, your desire for relationship, your loneliness when you struggle for, with loneliness, your hunger for relational uh, friendship, it is not a, a result of your sin or your imperfection or your brokenness. It's a result of the way God made you and created you. He designed you before brokenness into the world to hunger for a connection with other people. And oftentimes we talk about that in terms of marriage, but really it's bigger than just marriage, although that's an essential friendship for many. But, but there's, a, there's a general human desire for friendship and connection and relationship that goes beyond marriage. Whether you're single, married, or not, it's good for us to be in relationship. So what we're going to look at today, what I want us to do is I want us to recognize that almost nothing impacts, impacts the quality of your life as much as your friendship. So Proverbs is going to say, choose wisely your friends, those that are close to you. Now, why is wisdom so important? Wisdom is really, it's a skill for us to, to work through uh, the, the areas of life that aren't obvious. See, there, are, there are areas of life that are really clear. And you teach those to your little kids, right? That's a road. Those are cars. Don't go in front of them. That's bad. Like those are pretty easy things, right? We were over at our house the other night and we had some friends over and we had some candles out that were burning and there's a little kid and they were kind of like, ooh, light. And they're going, that'll take one time. <laughs> you know, put your hand up there, you burn, it's obvious. Fire, hot, hurt, don't do that. But there's much of life that isn't quite so simple, right? A lot of life is way more complex than that. A lot of life can be more tricky than that. Life's not all just a list of easy check boxes. And man, wisdom would be easy if it was the same, if you could drive, go by a drive-through window on the way home from work and drop a buck 99 on it and pick up a bag of wisdom. But, but life doesn't really work that way. Life is just a lot more complicated. And as you walk through life, you have to navigate those things. For me, sometimes I think life feels a little bit more like whitewater rafting. Like you're, you feel like you're going really fast and there's all kinds of unexpected obstacles and things and twists and turns and dips and rapids and things that come your way. And in the midst of it, you're sort of steering and aiming in a direction, hoping to miss all the big stuff and get down the river and do just fine. And oftentimes that's really what life feels like. It doesn't feel like the simple list of checkboxes. It feels like you're on a journey somewhere and you're having to kind of make it up as you go. And that's true, I think, when you're choosing friends as well. One man said, much is at stake in our friendships and so much of friendship is a matter of feel. But God has wisdom for us in the nuances of real relationship too. Proverbs speaks a ton to that. And so the theme for this sermon really is coming from Proverbs 13, verse 20. It says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Like much of the Proverbs, there's a positive side and there's a negative side to this Proverbs. You cannot become wise without wise friends by your side. You're going you're gonna to rise to the level of those you run with. The, the speed of your team is going to determine your speed. You're going you're gonna to live very much influenced by those that are your close friends. And so the, if you have wise friends, it's going to raise the level of your personal wisdom. But if you run around with a bunch of idiots... It says harm's gonna come your way. It actually puts you in harm's way. Foolish friends will actually put you in harm's way. 
So let's start by looking at a few. Uh, we're going to take this. You notice there's a positive and negative there. I'm going to start with a negative because uh, wisdom always says you should start with the bad news first, right? So let's start with dangers to avoid. And then we're going to look at some of the positives of friendship on the backside. Dangers to avoid. First is that you might drift into unhealthy friendships. You might, you might find yourself drifting into unhealthy friendships. Proverbs 18.24 says this, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So we can't just collect friends. We can't just run around grabbing anyone that's there. Uh, because that's, that's going to be an unwise way. And it, it's not about quantity as much as it is about quality. You want a few deep, healthy relationships more than you want a bunch of loose, unhealthy relationships. And so Proverbs 13 warns us against this. And just, I mean, Proverbs 18 warns us against this. It says, you must be intentional about seeking out true friends. You know, it's interesting. The kind of, proverb, uh, kind of friendship Proverbs is speaking of here is really, it's about the close confidence that you invite into, into the circle of trust, to quote a famous movie. But you're, you're inviting a few friends into the circle of trust that are gonna be your inner, your inner circle. And you see this with Jesus. He had, uh, he had Peter, James, and John that were kind of the three. Then he had the 12. Then there were 500 disciples. And then there was a whole bunch of other people and sinners and friends uh, that he had outside of that. But there was a group of guys that he kind of brought in. So even Jesus had a limitation to the number of people he can connect with. See, one of the things I find in friendship is we, we sometimes feel like we, we can't be equally friends with everyone, so we end up becoming friends with no one. But what I want to encourage you in is you, you, can't be, you can't be someone's deep, you can't be everyone's deep friend, but you have to be a deep friend with someone. Like you have to be able to go deep relationally with a, few, with a hand full of few people. And realistically, I think sometimes we think that ought to be this great big number. You really can't do that. You can have healthy spiritual connections. You can have healthy community. You can have friends that you serve with and other stuff, but you can only go really deep with just a handful of people, the way that Proverbs, I think, is talking about here. But he's also talking about kind of just the general way in which we approach friendships. And it's not meant to be something that, that locks you out of relationship with others. But I think one of the things I, I hear when I talk about friendship with guys, they go, well, yeah, but Jesus was a friend of sinners. Are we supposed to be friends with them in the same way? And really, this is talking about something a little bit different. It's talking about wise friends that you're inviting into your inner circle to be your support and your spiritual encouragement. Yes, we're to be like Jesus and connect with people all throughout our city and all kinds of people and all stripes of people. And we ought to love everyone. And yet there's a few people that we bring in as kind of spiritual compadres, as kind of those who are in our inner circle that we invite in to relate to us in a different way. So friends, don't just drift into friendships. Can I warn you guys, I, we talked a little bit about this a couple weeks ago, students, but as, especially as high school students, as college students, as young adults who are moving out into the workforce, this happens, it's, it's especially dangerous for us. We need to watch out for those who are, are experimenting morally, those who are, who are kind of like, I'm going to go sow my wild oats, those who are sneaking around and doing things secretively or, or doing things in ways that are, that are under... Um, kind of going behind others, other authorities' backs. We want to watch out for those. And then equally, the other side, those who are bragging about their conquests. Those are dangerous people that sometimes we find ourselves just connecting with in ways that are going to lead us in unhealthy friendships. It's interesting. Uh, Tim Keller says this. He says, in the early stage of life, you were shaped most by your family. But for the rest of your life, you'll be shaped largely by your friends. You become like the people you spend the most time with. Remember how deliberate friendship must be. 
Erotic attraction and family relationships push themselves on you in various ways, but friendship will not. It must be carefully, intentionally cultivated through face-to-face time spent together. And in a busy culture like us, like ours, it is one thing that often gets squeezed out. Friends, we've got to be intentional about cultivating relationships that are healthy. Don't just drift into relationships. Another danger to avoid, avoid being driven by pain or loneliness. And as a pastor, I see this one all the time. Life's just, life is harder than we think it's going to be. Life is harder than we want it to be. And we go through difficult seasons and we go through different difficult transitions. And when you're in those, those vulnerable moments of transition or of deep struggle, then it's easy to allow your emotions to kind of compel you and drive you into a relationship that's not a healthy relationship. When you're in those transitions where you move from one stage of life to another, or maybe move from one city to another, you're in this vulnerable place where you're open to connection with people. And sometimes your loneliness or your hurt, or or maybe even your fear, may push you and drive you into a relationship to grab hold of someone so that you've got someone with you. But it may be an unhealthy relationship. And I think the scriptures warn us about that danger as well. But friends, you, you might be tempted to find voices that give vent to your anger. You might be tempted to find voices that help justify your behavior. You might have voices that, uh, that, that reinforce your negative drama or your unhealthy coping mechanisms. And just the unhealth of the way in which you're coping with a difficult season, sometimes you gravitate towards friends that reinforce those kinds of things. So be careful not to allow your emotions to drive you. Derek Kidner, commentator on Proverbs, says, a man who's empty-headed will end up wrong-headed. Oftentimes in those seasons, we, we think we're kind of in neutral. We don't think we're making a, a good or bad choice. We just think we're going with the flow. But what Proverbs teaches is that when you go with the flow, you almost always end up moving in the wrong direction. So you need to be intentional. It's hard, though. It's hard to find friends. Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, Many a man proclaims his steadfast love, but a faithful man, who can find him? Friends, I I know sometimes it's lonely. I know sometimes it's hard. But but don't, don't just run in there. Run out and grab a friend. Hang in there. Be diligent. Wait and ask God to pray. And pray and ask God to bring you a healthy friend. One last danger to avoid. You might be divided from your faith. Proverbs 12, 26 says, one who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads him astray. One who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the wicked leads him astray. Our friendships are gonna push us in one direction or the other. Either we're gonna, the wise are gonna make us more wise or the fool is gonna lead us in harm's way. And so you need to be aware that it takes time, it takes work, but you need to find the right kind of friends. Friends, you may have someone that, that shares, your, uh, shares your style of music, your style of movies. You may find someone who shares your politics, and you may find someone who shares your tastes and uh, your, your lifestyle, your social status, or kind of uh, maybe even someone who, who shares your, your similar work environment, the kind of ethos of life and the, the people you run with. But if they're missing the spiritual component, something essential is missing in terms of that relationship. You need to find someone you share a spiritual life with as well. So let's go the other, the other way. So those are some dangers to avoid. What do we wanna build in our friendships and in our relationships? First thing I want you to see is that your friends are going to shape your behavior. 
For good or for bad, your friends will shape your behavior. And so uh, we're going to kind of run through this. And what I want you to be thinking about is, is wise friend, wise, uh, those with wise friends become more wise. Those with fools as friends enter into harm's way. You see this throughout Proverbs, that it sets up this kind of twofold dichotomy of where we end up. And so when you think about your friends shaping behavior, the first area that you see that they shape your behavior is in your moral boundaries. That your friends are going to shape your moral boundaries. Proverbs 29, 5 says, a man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. <clears throat> a man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. What's he talking about? Saying so someone who, man, they're always up. Everything's always good. They're always praising. You're like, man, you're doing good. Keep going. They're, really, this is talking about someone who constantly is, is encouraging you to keep going in the direction you're going. Why is that a danger? Well, it says it provides a, it becomes a snare for your feet. It's someone, this is someone who's enabling, someone who enables your unhealthy behavior, someone who flatters you and tells you you're doing great when maybe you're not doing so well. These are, these are the relationships that don't serve you well, but there's another kind of relationship. Proverbs 28, 13 says, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, meaning someone who, and they're hiding their sin. They're covering it up. They're, they're sneaking around and doing those things, but they know that they, they operate oftentimes in the dark because they know that what they're doing should not be in the light and should not be seen. And so there's kind of a dark underside to the behavior and to what they do. But the other side is there's a person who confesses his sin and forsakes them. See, all of us are sinners. It's just a matter of what do we do with our sin? Are we going to are we going to hold on to our sin and try to justify it and make it okay, or are we going to confess it, lay it down, and find mercy? Friend, find friends who know that they are sinners, but they're not happy about it. Find yourself some friends that they know that they're sinners. You don't, you don't need a self-righteous person who pretends like there's no sin, but find someone who knows that they're a sinner and they're not happy about it. You don't need friends to help justify your sin and congratulate you and all your brokenness. You want a friend who's gonna help you unveil that so that you can grow through that and become who God wants you to be. Your friends will also shape not just your moral boundaries, but also your attitudes. This is how you feel about life. I mean, who, who shapes the way you feel about your days more than your friends? And no one. Like they're the ones that you text and the, the tone of your texts can really change the way you approach your day, isn't it? These are the ones that when you hang out and have a meal at the end of the day, the way in which you talk about the events of the day shape your perspective and your attitude and your tension or your peace about the things that you enter into. And Proverbs speaks to that too. Proverbs 22 warns us about this. <clears throat> it says, make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. He says, don't make friends with an angry man. And really that could, be, that could apply to a whole lot of different attitudes, but there's unhealthy, unbiblical, sinful attitudes in the world. And sometimes our lives become typified by those things. And whenever we make ourselves friends with those things, those attitudes inevitably rub off on us and they shape the way we think about the world and the way we approach it. But you notice here it says, it says, you will learn his ways and entangle yourself. He's saying, you're not a victim here. You're an accomplice. That whenever we, whenever we become friends with angry, with angry people and that begins to rub off on us, it says, you're gonna trip yourself up. 
You ever watch the YouTube videos of the guys that go in and they're going to go commit a crime and they make such a dumb mistake that they're arrested immediately and it's obvious? This is what this is talking about. It's saying you stepped into a deal. I have a friend who was a cop and one time he, he was uh, literally in a convenience store and a guy pulled a gun out and went up to hold, hold up the guy and he was in line behind him as a cop. And the guy's holding him up right in front of him and he's like, well, you're under arrest. That's what this is talking about is you're such a fool that you step right into it and you tangle yourself and you're caught immediately whenever you do this kind of thing. So the common thing here is that, <clears throat> that you are both, uh, that oftentimes what happens when you become friends with an angry person is you're frustrated about something in life and you run up against someone else that's frustrated about the same thing and you begin, you begin to give vent to that. And then what you find out is that person isn't just a little bit frustrated, but maybe they're deeply angry. And what the problem with a deeply, deeply angry person is their anger is not limited to one area, but that anger begins to shape the way they do everything. And if we become close friends with them, it begins to shape us, which is why Proverbs says in Proverbs 22.10, drive out a scoffer and strife will go out and quarreling and abuse will cease. Yes. Drive out a scoffer. A friend that sometimes gives us as Christians, we're not quite sure what to do with that. We're like, oh, I thought Grace said we're supposed to love everyone. We're supposed to include everyone. We're supposed to welcome everyone. That's true. But there's also a standard by which we invite them in. We're not intended to invite them in as they are and allow them to have free reign over all of our hearts and lives and emotions and everything. There's healthy boundaries that Proverbs teaches us to set long before anyone ever wrote a book called Boundaries. And so Proverbs taught us about this years ago. And it said, man, when someone is abusive, when someone is angry, when someone spews stuff every time they come in the room, you have to set a boundary and separate yourself from them in order to protect yourself. Otherwise, you're gonna become like them and entrap yourself and you're gonna become trapped in their snare. That's the wisdom that Proverbs gives. It's a little bit messy for us to figure out how to sort that out, but that's what Proverbs is telling us to do. And one guy says about this, he says, some people are impossible. For some people, facts don't matter. Truth doesn't matter. Fairness doesn't matter. Finding a win-win doesn't matter. They are unsatisfiable. Drive out a scoffer makes a church safe for sinners who want to grow and change. Friends, we can't simply acquiesce to an unhealthy person and allow them to run roughshod over us, over our small groups, over our relationships, over our friendships, over our families, over the things in which we, which we are about. We have to sometimes draw a line and say, you know what, that's not okay. That's not how families treat one another. We do it with our kids, right? We, we, we look at one of, our, one of our children and we say, hang on, time out. We don't talk to that way, that way with one another. We have to do that in our church family as well. We also have to do that in our friendships and our relationships. In fact, this shows up in the New Testament too, Titus 3. It's fascinating. Uh, mind you, this is New Testament. This is the Apostle Paul, the, the Apostle Paul who's also known as the Apostle of Grace. Listen to what he says. As for the person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. That's, that's after Jesus that's when we know the fullness of his grace. That's the Apostle Paul talking about how we are to treat angry people. And there's a stern warning there. Why? Because our friends will shape our behavior and our attitudes as well. And so we have to set boundaries so we can have God-honoring God attitudes and God-honoring behaviors. We need to be sanctified in the way in which we, we walk in this world. 
So not only does it shape our behaviors, friendship also shapes our thinking. So let's look at another area. First, uh, your friends are gonna shape your thinking first in your conversations. Um, Proverbs 25.10, a a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Now, we're not much into apples of gold or settings of silver. I mean, some of you guys may be. I I don't know. Uh, Maybe you wanna think about this as like a a word well-spoken is like a yacht on the ocean and a cabin in the mountains. Like maybe you need to think of a different comparison there in order to really understand that this is saying, this is a really good thing. Like to have someone just to chop it up with around a table, around a fire, like there are few things in life as good as having a group of buddies around and just sitting around a fire and just chopping up about life, commiserating. You need to find friends that you can laugh with, that you can commiserate with, that you can whine with, uh, that you can tell jokes with, that you can brag with. Like all the things that you wanna do just hanging out with guys, you need to do that because that's gonna shape the way you think about life. Ladies, you need to find someone that whatever you do, Whatever you ladies do, I just know you do it faster and, and, and usually with more tears than, than most of us guys do. But you do it really well. It takes some of us, we usually have to hang out and like beat each other up for six hours, you know, uh, somehow in some sporting event or something and get to about 1 a.m. before a guy will go, so how's things really going? You know, like it takes us a long time to get there. A lot of you ladies can sit down and be like, hey, what's your name? How are you doing really? You know, and instantly you just talk. And I don't know exactly how that works, but what I do know is we need friends that help shape our thinking just through the conversations of life. And not all of us are wired the same way, same way and not all of us work the same way. And we can laugh about differences and we can laugh about this. The one thing I don't want us to laugh about is you need to have some friends that you share life with, that somehow you crack open kind of the shell and the veneer and you say, let me, let me kind of show you what's going on, really. Like you need some people that you do that with somewhere in the course of your life. And that was going to shape the way you think. Whoever you open your life up to in those moments, they're going to have influence in the way in which you operate. Not just in your conversations, but really leads us to the second area that, that our friends shape our thinking, which is in their counsel. Because when we get to know people like that, and we have relationships like those, it's, it's gonna open us up to seeking advice, seeking counsel, seeking wisdom from them. And so Proverbs says, oil and perfume make the heart glad and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. There's something sweet about a friend that gives you wise counsel when you really need it. Have you ever been in a place where you're trying, you're wrestling over a family decision or a job decision or a relational decision or something and, and you're in turmoil and you just know and I'm spinning a little bit and I'm not sure I'm seeing this straight. I'm not sure I'm seeing all the, all the things that are here and you kind of need someone that steps out of that that can look down on your life and see the broad spectrum and they can give you some wisdom and some counsel and some advice and they can be the ones that have tracked with you over years and go, hey, you remember that thing that you did back there that got you in trouble? This feels like it could be a little like that. Or, hey, do you remember that time when you got a little fearful and you didn't trust the Lord and he was really calling you to do that thing and you, you held back? Maybe this is a place where God's calling you to step out in faith and step into something that he wants you to do. You need a friend that can give you wisdom in that kind of nuanced conversations of life that we have. And part of that means you need a friend that'll be honest with you. One of the famous verses on friendships or most famous really verses on friendship in the book of Proverbs is 27.6, which says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. 
a friend who, I mean, they're willing to say a hard thing, a thing that, and maybe it stings a little at first, but they're doing it in order to, to help you. They're doing it in order to serve you well. And I think it's important to acknowledge this isn't licensed to be a jerk, right? Like only kind, thoughtful, control, self-controlled, balanced, wise people do this very well. You know, this, this can be like ammo and a gun of a really unhealthy person that, that, that it doesn't do this well, that goes, sweet, man, I'm just wounding you for Jesus. You know, like you don't want someone who's really proud of the fact they wound their friends all the time. This is something that's always done with some timidity and with some humility that comes along someone and says, man, I think you need to see this from maybe another perspective. I think you need to consider some other things here. We need someone who lovingly gives us wisdom for the road we're traveling, even when it challenges us. Here's what's hard. Do you find it difficult to receive a wound of a friend? To receive reproof, correction, kind of re, kind of shifting your course? Those are hard conversations. I don't, ever, I don't ever desire kind of on a surface level to like run in when someone says, hey, I need to talk to you about something. I'm not like, oh boy, a hard conversation, right? Like that's just not the way we tend to roll. We're like, oh, what is it? You know, and you kind of wait. And there's a deeper part of me that desires the help of a friend who's honestly trying to help me out. But there's a, there's a surface part of me that every time it happens, I flinch and I'm like, oh. I really want to, yeah, I do want this and I have to think about it. See, this is especially difficult for some of you. Um, Ray Orland says, there's a difference between someone being loved and someone feeling loved. Jesus loved everyone well, yet some people felt hurt. They were, har- they were not harmed by him, they were loved by him, but they felt hurt. If we, did not, if we don't understand this, then every time we feel hurt, we will look for someone to blame and punish. We will make our emotional state someone else's fault. See, this is a difficult thing. We, we have to be able to have hard conversations with our friends. And every time it happens and they don't agree with us, we can't be so offended by that that we just feel hurt and we retreat from that friendship. True friends can walk through those difficult conversations and you receive that as, and I trust that you're, you're speaking into me for my good, not for my harm. And so we wanna be, one of those that, that receives those wounds from a friend. But we also want to course correct and shift our life. But there's a dance there and it takes great wisdom to do that. The last area that we see that friends shape our thinking is convictions. Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. And we need some friends to push us in the right direction. We need friends sometimes to, to sharpen our thinking and our lives, to offer some correction in, in ways. And it, the iron on iron, I mean, it creates some friction, but it produces something really good. And we want friends that are going to help us cut straight through life in a really healthy way. And, and so as you think about this, um, I, you know, I think it's important for us to surround us with people that are going to make us better. Going back to the original proverb we looked at at the very beginning, those who walk with the wise become what? Wise. Friends, you want iron sharpens iron relationships. You want friendships with wise people that as they walk with you through the course of life, your wisdom is raised and your, your clarity about life is, is clarified. You, you, you gain greater clarity about life and are able to cut through the, a straight path and the things and the decisions that you need to make. So lastly, in Proverbs, the thing we see is that your friends will shape 
all of your experience in life. They shape your behavior, shape your thinking. But really, a friend, a friend walks with you in everything. They walk with you in thick and thin. They walk with you on the mountaintops and the valleys. They walk with you through the dark days and they walk with you through the light days. They celebrate with you. They weep when you weep. And they also rejoice when you rejoice. That they're engaged in all of your life, which is why Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times. You know, it's interesting that a friend chooses you. You know, when someone loves at all times, it means they're committed to you. They're not just committed when things are good. They're committed to you regardless of what comes your way. They, they're gonna love you no matter what happens. They, they love you when you mess up. They love you when you do well. They're there to give you a high five when, when you do something the right way. And they're there to put their arm around your shoulder when you do something the wrong way. They help carry your burdens and they help walk alongside you in all, uh, in all of life. And I love a picture of this that you see in the book of Exodus. In Exodus 17, you see uh, Moses and he's, uh, they're in the middle of a, of, a, of a battle season. And as they're going into battle, uh, you see Moses, you see uh, Joshua is down on the, on the battlefield and Moses is up on, on the hillside and he's looking down at Joshua and the army down below. And it says that Moses begins to pray because he sent his friend, his young kind of uh, mentee, the guy that he's discipling. He sent him out into battle and Joshua's fighting the battle. And Moses is up overlooking this, kind of surveying the land. And he just begins to pray for Joshua and pray. And it says that as Moses raises his hands and prays for Joshua, the Israelites begin to win the war. But when Moses gets tired and stops praying, his arms start coming down, they begin to lose the war. So Moses keeps his hand up and Moses is, is a weak man and he can't do everything he needs to do. So all of a sudden Aaron and her, two of his other friends are there beside him and they're underneath him. It says they get a place for Moses to sit. And as Moses sits there on, on this implement, it says they, they actually come along on either side of him and they raise, their hand, raise his hands and hold his hands up. And Moses continues to pray for Joshua and Joshua keeps winning the battle down below. And to me, I thought about that this week and just thought what a beautiful picture of friendship. That's what it ought to be. That all four are engaged, all four are present, all four are doing a different part and a different role, but all four are essential to a positive outcome. And so that's, that's what friendship ought to be. And just, can I encourage you as you think about what does it look like to be a friend at all times? That you just, you need a group of people that are around you and, and the scriptures guide us in this. And Proverbs gives us wisdom, things of pitfalls to watch out for, but also things which we are to seek out but you need friends like that. Friends that are gonna, they're gonna go out ahead of you in battle. Friends that are gonna intercede and pray for you. Friends that are gonna hold you up when you're too weak and don't think you can get it done. But somehow together, all of it works because you're all playing a part and you're all, you're all pitching in and carrying one of those burdens and lifting weight alongside the others. Now, do you see how that works? Um, I, that's the picture I want us to have as we think about this. Ecclesiastes says, two are better than one because they have good reward for their toil. For if one will fall, the other will lift up his fellow. But woe to the one who is alone when he falls and has no one to lift him up. It goes on and says, the man might try to prevail against one who is alone. Two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. And when there's strength in friendship that comforts us in life, but also strengthens us for the day ahead. Can I give you one last thing on friendship? When you think about friendship, you know, it's interesting when you get to the New Testament, Jesus said this, greater love has no man than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. 
in the couple verses before that, Jesus says, I no longer call you servants, but now I call you friends. You know, in the Old Testament, it was an honor to be called a servant of the Most High King. To be considered a servant was consider, of the Most High was considered something incredibly honorable. And Jesus says, even though you were, you were in a place of honor, I've given you a seat of even greater honor. I now call you friends. And the way in which he accomplished that friendship, relationship with us, is because he did what the greatest lover does. He laid down his life for us so that we might be his friends. And in that example, he shows us really the heartbeat of friendship and shows us where we initially find friendship. Friends, let me encourage you in this. Any broken friendship, the place to go for healing is to the, the original friendship. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're the ones that invite us in, into a relationship and really what, what their desire is. Dallas Willard says this, God's aim in human history is the creation of a community of loving persons with himself included as its primary sustainer and its most glorious inhabitant. And God is in a friendship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And through his son, Jesus, he's invited us to be friends with him. And he's invited all of our little pockets of friends to be assimilated into this great community of friends that he calls the church. This is the people of God. And we get to live with him forever. So let's rejoice in that. Go find friends. Find you some friends that love the Lord. Find you some friends that love his church. Find you some friends that love you. And I assure you, your wisdom will rise and your life will become more, more meaningful and more fruitful. Let me pray for us. Father, I ask for wisdom. Father, it's not always easy. It's not always clear. There are many who profess friendship who have hurt us and let us down. Father, I pray for those in this room that they would not harbor their bitterness and the hurt, but that they would hand it to you, that they would find healing there, but that they would not be swayed from seeking true friends, but they would continually trust you, trust your word, and engage in relational connection with those around us, around them. Father, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.